From Revenue Rhino, I'm Brad Hammond, and this is the Lifelong Customer Podcast. Welcome to the Lifelong Customer Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Hammond, and today I have James from JP Enterprises. James, it's really nice to have you on. Thank you so much. I'm glad to talk about some interesting topics here today. Absolutely. I'm excited. So to kick us off, can you tell me a bit about yourself, who you are, as well as your company and what you guys are doing? My name is Dr. James Pogue, and I am the CEO and president of JP Enterprises. And what we do is help companies identify some of the stopping points that may be happening as they're trying to build out a great culture. And so we do that by taking a snapshot of where they are right now, whether that's the humans, the C-suite, for example, take a picture of that, take a picture of the organization from doing our assessment. Then we say, where would you like to be? So now we have where you are and where you'd like to be, and then we help them build that roadmap to where they want to go, then work with them to execute the steps along the way. I love that. I think it's so relevant. Every leader out there is thinking about where are they at today and where do they want to be uh, right now? Very cool spot to be in. So what's your story? How did you get into this? A hundred years ago, when I left undergraduate, I had the intention of being a university president. It's the only thing I wanted to do. That's all I wanted to do with myself and how I wanted to operate and how I wanted to do to save the world, right? I wanted to give back. And so I went off to grad school to do that. And the way that I thought I might do that was by helping students graduate. And so my research was around where, what, what's happening with the students that help them graduate or maybe keeps them from it? What's happening with the humans inside the institutions that may be helping people graduate or keeping them from it? And then what about the structures within the university that might be helping students along and that might be hindering them? That's what my research was all about. So then off I go to the universities in New York and a few in New Jersey and did some work there and realized as I read something that Audre Lorde, an urban planner from way back, had said, she says it's hard to tear down the master's house with the master's tools, meaning that maybe I would have a better opportunity to change and to improve higher education by doing it from the outside. And so I began to shift my professional position to become more of an outside consultant to organizations to help them get better, as opposed to working from the inside out. And then at some point in time, a hospital organization called me and said, hey, if you can do it at a university, can you help us become first choice for patients? Can you help us recruit and retain medical staff, environmental service staff, et cetera? I said, sure, I can give that a shot. And then I'm off to the races, recognizing that what it is that I'd learned had applicability across industries. And so then you hopefully you can see the kind of clear, the clarity between what I did then, taking a snapshot of universities, here's where we are, here's where we want to go, to where we are now, looking at in organizations across industries and saying, where are you when it comes to your culture? Where are you when it comes to your strategy? Where are you when it comes to your leadership? And where would you like to be? And let's figure out how to get you there. I love it. Amazing story. Let's talk about what you're seeing out there today. So what advice do you have for leaders and entrepreneurs out there when it comes to growing their companies? What have you seen in growing your own company and in terms of strategy and all that stuff? The first thing, there's a lot of pieces to being a, I believe, a great leader in today's marketplace. And one of them is resilience for certain. You're gonna get, you're gonna get buffeted by the winds that are happening, whether that wind is COVID or whether that wind is a significant team member decides to take another opportunity around the corner. It's going to happen. So you have to be resilient. You also have to be very connected. 
You have to have a lot of people that are pouring into you and to whom you're pouring into. So that when these changes come, you're not moving left and right with them. You can reach out to your network and say, okay, let me make sure that I'm staying stable and where it is that I'm supposed to be. So that connectedness, that resiliency, tenacity. And then here's one thing that is a small piece. It's a small word, but it has a lot to do with why many CEOs happen to be very successful. And that's being healthy. It's a, so we have to take care of ourselves both mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, so that we can lead the organizations and the people that have chosen to, to follow us. Very interesting. So how do you see that happen in practice? Are there any things like, I'm sure it's different for everybody, but any maybe common themes amongst leaders are like, oh, wow, these ones are nailing it. They're healthy. They're in a good spot. Things are going great. Sure. Oh, maybe yeah. these are some areas that people commonly need to improve on. Great leaders I have found surround themselves with people who are robust and rigorous and smart, disagreeable, and, and don't take yes for an answer and don't take no for an answer. They are serious, critical thinkers. If you say yes, they're going to ask why three or four times. If you say no, they're going to ask why three or four times. You have to prove your point as opposed to your point being accepted. And that keeps them intellectually nimble. It keeps them able to pivot. And you, sometimes that pivot is quick and sometimes that pivot has to take some time. That is where the strategy can come into play. But the leaders have the capacity to execute on these things because they continue to push themselves. They continue to surround themselves with robust conversations with people that they sometimes disagree with. And I think I have found it to be extremely important. The next thing that I would say is the big questions. Leaders are asking themselves the big questions. And they may not get to the big answers, but they know the big questions are there. And they will put, lock themselves in a room, whether that's over cocktail, coffee or over a cocktail, and talk about these big ideas that are happening, right? And then they tether themselves to the ground so they don't get too far out there in the, in the, in the, in the ether by having the strategy folks, the operations folks, the finance folks, the HR folks, the marketing folks, help them make sense out of these big ideas and big questions and big answers that they're playing with. Absolutely. Love that. Are there any like major lessons learned either in your own business or those that you've worked with? You're like, hey, here's some landmines to look out for. That I would say that for, there, for many entrepreneurs, particularly some of those that come from underrepresented groups, and by underrepresented, I'm talking about the sort of traditional diversity metrics, but also some of the non-traditional ones, so like socioeconomics, veterans, differing abilities. If you come from one of these other places, there are times when we sometimes believe that making money is a bad thing, right? The people that are the big companies that are doing really well, my goodness, they're the bad guys and we got to fight all of that. And so you end up having an automatic breaking system when it comes to trying to win and get and execute on the big contracts, right? I would say to those folks, there's nothing wrong with doing very well. There's nothing wrong with it at all. And if you, you, the way that you can help other organizations is in fact by doing well. If you happen to have a strong spiritual lean and you're a tithing person, for example, how much more can you tithe if you're making that much more money? How many more scholarships can you finance if you're making that much more money? How much more people can you employ? And they can feed their families and they can send their kids to school and they can buy a vacation house if you're making that much more money. So I think that the mindset that some of us can have around entrepreneurship can be is that there's a dampening around economics. 
right? And so I would say that explode that out, do your best to walk past that and through that and do very well. Absolutely. Yeah, it's very interesting. I think the world is not a zero-sum game. Just because you do well doesn't mean someone else does poorly. I think everyone can do well together. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And we sometimes we think that the pie is only so big. But no, the pie is pretty doggone large. And it, what often happens is there, there's, there's more than enough for those people who are willing to work really hard and sacrifice and do the quote-unquote dirty work. And it could be it literally the cleaning out of the toilets in your room. In your, in your office. It could be that, or it could be the, hey, Brad, you and I got to have a tough conversation about your performance. You're not exactly where you want to be. You're not exactly where I want you to be. Let's talk about how to get you where you need and want to be. Either one of those can be considered quote unquote dirty work, but you got to get in there, Madam Leader or Mr. Leader, and lock in and get that thing executed. Absolutely. Let's talk about content, LinkedIn, even podcasting. You're someone out there that's very public and you get around, you're on podcasts, you do content, all that stuff. How'd you decide to do that? And how does that play a role in what you're doing? Hey, Brad, I'm out here in these streets, buddy. I'm out here. <laughs> I love it. You know, what, I think that what you have to do is you have to decide that you are going to do it. Our social media manager tells me all the time, I'm not doing enough, I'm not doing enough, I'm not doing enough. And he's correct. I think I'm doing a lot. He says, absolutely not. So I know that I should be doing more. So one is decide that you're going to do it, figure out your cadence, and then stick to it. Find somebody who knows way more about it than you do and ask them for their advice and counsel and then execute on what they're asking you to. The second is ensure that your content is reflective of who you are and what you want your brand to be. The reality is LinkedIn has gotten a lot less strict business over the last five years, 10 years or so. Some people would even argue that it's the new quote unquote Facebook in terms of its social agenda. People talking about their parents and their children and some of the life changes that are outside of the strict walls, if you will, the traditional walls of the office, even the virtual office. So if you're going to put information about your quote unquote personal or spiritual or running or whatever it is, life on the LinkedIn of the world, the quote unquote business platforms, just make sure it's reflective of the brand. Make sure it's reflective of you. Make sure that you show up the way that you want to show up. Right. And then keep in mind that you are connected with people. Right. And so the people that are in your network, are they going to be proud to say, hey, I know that person. I know her. She's my CEO. He's my CMO. Are, are they going to be okay with that? So a little bit of caution there. Be you, be your brand, be yourself, but understand that one, you got to do it often. Two, it needs to be reflective of your brand and who you are so that you can stand behind it and so the people that stand behind you can be proud of what it is that's out there. Absolutely. What's one of the biggest challenges you've faced and how have you overcome it? I think that the biggest challenges that I've had to face are all around when I'm asked to do something that I don't know how to do. That I'm the leader of the organization and we're supposed to pivot related to COVID. And what does that mean? How am I supposed to figure that out? And to stand in the gap of fire and change and make a decision or, so I wanted to make the decision that I don't know how to make. So I got to go out and get information and learn and get up to speed. The other is, when you've got 50% of your team wanting you to go left and 50% of your team wanting you to go right, and you've got to make a call. That, those are difficult moments. Yeah, for sure. 
What is one thing you wish you would have known when you first became a CEO that you know now? So let me halfway reframe that as in, what are some of the worst advice that I've received? And that would be never change. It's probably the worst piece of advice I've ever received. Never change. Absolutely. We all got to change all the time. Yes. If you could go back in time and give your younger self maybe a good piece of advice as you're on this journey in life and all that, what would that be and how might it have changed your approach? When I was younger, a good piece of advice, you know what? I think that it'll be okay. It'll be okay. There's any number of fires that I was in or poison that I thought I drank professionally or otherwise, or people that I surrounded myself that I thought were not the best, or maybe I wasn't the best person to be around those good people, but that it would be okay that I was raised well. I was professionally raised well. I, my mind, I've been, I'm blessed that my mind and my body are equally yoked. And for this period of time, this short period of time I have on the planet, I can do great things. I just have to know that it's probable, that it is possible, that it's going to happen, and that it'll be okay. Absolutely. Love it. Can you describe a time when you had to pivot strategy, either in your own business or maybe in a, a business you're working with? And how... How do you approach that? How did it go? All that stuff. So much like other organizations in the summer of 2020, everything shut down for us. And prior to 2020, we were primarily a public speaking organization. I was speaking 25 to 35 times a year, running all over the world doing that. And then, of course, the world shuts down in 2020. And I'm sitting at home like everyone else. The webinar space starts to jump up and get lively. And so there's those versions of quote unquote keynotes or workshops. But then our clients started saying, can you help us implement the solutions? The consultative side started to get more traction. So we had to pivot toward that and build out a team that could support our clients in that way. And at the time, I didn't really know how to do that. I didn't know how to build out a team and how to search for the people with the right kind of skill sets and abilities and who would be willing to follow my lead. And what that also means is willing to tell me when I am wrong, to figure out the way to tell this guy, that's not the direction I think that you want to go. Because I ask people to be in service of the purpose, not in service of me first. Yes, we are in service of one another but in an effort to achieve this big goal of making the world a bit better place. So when we had to pivot in 2020 towards this consultative model, that was a big challenge from a business perspective. I didn't know how to do it from a talent perspective. We didn't have those kinds of humans. And from a, an ability to identify the talent and bring it together with the policies and processes and procedures, I was weak. So I had to go and get smarter and surround myself with smart people and listen to what they had to say. So humility became the watchword of the moment that if I was unable to be humble in the work that we were doing, we were going to fail inevitably. But I like to believe that with their help, they helped us to be successful. Absolutely. So as we wrap up, if you could offer one piece of advice or some closing remarks to those out there listening, maybe it's your customers, your clients, the podcast listeners, other leaders out there, what would you have to say to them? Sure. I think that one of the things I've been spending more time talking about, and maybe it's because I happen to be a little older now, is this idea of gratitude that you and I touched on at the very top of our coming together. And this idea that we have to be grateful. If we're grateful for life, we have to be grateful for all of it. Even the bad things that have occurred, even the terrible things that have occurred. We can't simply be grateful for the good things. So we have to figure out a way to be able to say about the worst things that ever happened. I'm grateful for that. 
And that can be for some of us a continual journey. So lots of us have had loss in our lives, whether that loss was a spouse or whether it was a child or whether it was a mama or whether it was a pet or whether it was a house or whether it was a business that gutted us. And how do we figure out how to say, I'm grateful that happened because fill in the blank. And to continue this unending journey towards gratitude. And I think that if we can continue to do that, especially in today's tumultuous environment, where it seems that the tribalism has put us into a place where disliking the person across from you is what you're supposed to do. Instead, I can say, I disagree with everything that Brad believes, 100% of it, and I'm grateful that he took the time to explain it to me because he positioned me to sharpen my argument by debating with Brad, whom I disagree with. I am now a better person, a better debater, a better thinker. And so I'm grateful for him. And so I think that is where I would ask people to spend time. You're already good at your area of expertise. You're going to be fine with that. You may have even surrounded yourself with some really great people, but what about the other people who beat you up on the way to getting where you are? How do we become grateful for them? How do we become grateful for our, to our competitors? How do we become grateful to the contract we lost? How do we become grateful to the people that we lost? So that we can become better people, more whole people that are supporting one another, caring for one another, and dare I say, loving one another. Absolutely. I love that. Great closing remark. So James, it's been amazing to have you on. Thanks so much for joining today and sharing all your wisdom and insights. Absolutely glad to be here.